0: Thank you. Thank you very much and welcome to Scripture and Tradition. I'm Father Mitch Pacwa. This is a program where we take a look at the Word of God through the lens of tradition, but also, especially in the present material we're covering, we want to focus on how we can integrate prayer with the sacred scriptures. That's going to be our approach, so that we can come to know Christ more deeply as we pray over the Scripture. Now, today we'll continue our discussion of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and especially move to when He finds His disciples sound asleep. And they are asleep physically, but also spiritually. And we'll talk about how many people neglect or even avoid a serious prayer life, and how this can cause any of us and all of us to become more susceptible to temptation. Now, of course, if you have a question or comment related specifically to today's topic, we invite you to be a part of the show. If you're in North America, you can call us at 1-800-221-9460. 1-800-221-9460. If you are outside North America, you can still call, but it is our country code 1, area code 205-271-2980. Or you can also contact us by email by writing to Scripture and Tradition at EWTN.com. Furthermore, you can part, follow us and participate with the show. On YouTube. So we are continuing to go through my book, Wheat and Tares Restoring the Moral Vision of a Scandalized Church. And you can get a copy of this book at EWTN's religious catalog. Just go to EWTNRC.com, where the book is item number eight. 1098. 81098. If you have the book, we are starting today's discussion on page 84. Okay? So let's go to that section. We had talked last week about Jesus being a prayer. And He then returned to his disciples who were sleeping due to their sorrow. And he exhorted them to pray to avoid temptation. Now, I want to make a little comment. There have been a few people, perhaps a little bit on the wise guy side of things, who think that they were falling asleep because they had too much to drink at the Last Supper. Uh, that's not in the text. And overall the apostles were very honest about their weaknesses. I, if somebody tries to teach you that, they just may be reading some of their own problems into what the apostles did. But here it's the, the, the text says they were asleep because they were so filled with sol- sorrow and it just overwhelmed them. So our Lord says to them in Luke 22, verse 46, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is very, very important here. Our Lord Is calling them to a watchfulness. Not the first time, it won't be the last time that he calls them to watch and and stay alert. Um, In this case, there's a watchfulness against temptation. Temptation is where we move towards a, 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 a sin, we are attracted by a sinful behavior. And there are a lot of sins that attract us. In this situation, it will be cowardice. That's going to be the moral crisis for them. They will be cowardly. And what our Lord teaches them at this point is that being prayerful will help you to avoid that temptation. You change your focus from that which scares you, in their case, to the Lord Himself. Okay, a very important thing. And notice, he personally needed that kind of prayer. The reason that he is in Gethsemane is so he can pray in the midst of a temptation that will be coming from outside of him. this because our Lord doesn't have disordered desires. He doesn't have original sin. And because he doesn't have original sin, temptations don't come from within him, but there will be temptations that come from outside of him. AND HE KNOWS THAT HE NEEDS PRAYER, AND HE KNOWS THAT HIS DISCIPLES NEED PRAYER. AND UNFORTUNATELY, THE ELEVEN DISCIPLES GIVE INTO SLUMBER INSTEAD OF PRAYER. THE ONLY ONE WHO STAYS AWAKE IS THE TRAITOR, AS WE'LL SEE IN A LATER SECTION. Now. This is worth noting for us that a lot of people neglect prayer. They don't make time for it. Some people even go, and this was especially popular back in the 60s, uh, maybe the 70s as well. And some of the folks who came up in those days still might say it, that my work is my prayer now that doesn't make good sense really doesn't you can offer your work as a gift to god and you and with the morning offering you know if you do that every morning you can make your work into a type of prayer but there is need for interpersonal communion you know when a couple is married a guy might come home and said look I worked all day. That's that's thanks enough. And then never thanks his wife for her contribution in the family, never compliments her, never says anything nice, never speaks romantically. Uh, just my work is what I do for you. That's enough. And then I don't think that'll go over real well. I really don't. And it ought not. There needs to be more than just doing things. There is a relationship. And prayer is an important part of our relationship with God, where we speak to Him from our hearts the way a husband and wife need to speak to each other from their hearts. And that might be a good model for us to understand our prayer. Other times people are so surrounded by noise. Ours ours is a very noisy society. Can't even ride the elevator in peace and quiet. They're playing dumb versions of music. Uh, they even call it Muzak. Um, you know, but there's always noise going on, background noise. And this also helps to block out what our Lord is saying. And then people can have other excuses, lots of lots of excuses why you don't pray. but it leads to the same result. You have less, sensitivity to God. If you are not praying, you might easily miss when our Lord is prompting you to do something, to act. Uh, We'll be talking about this tomorrow. um, There'll be a new series on EWTN about forgiveness. And there's a great story of how A young lady was just in the midst of despair, three abortions, drug use, and uh, she's just feeling absolutely dejected, living on the street. Nobody loves her. And she was just sitting on a curb crying. And a waitress across the street saw her, and she said, I felt prompted by the Lord to come and say, Jesus forgives you for everything, and Jesus loves you. Now, That woman was able to be sensitive to that prompting because I'm sure that waitress had been a prayerful lady already. I would really suspect that's the case. So she just knew that there was a prompting from our Lord and she acted on it. And the other element about prayer is that if we are praying regularly, and daily, that means daily, then we become less susceptible to every temptation that comes along. Uh, Quite frequently we see the commercials on TV are trying to get us to buy stuff, some of which is good for us, or medicines and many other good products, some of which is just plain out wrong. So, you know, this is, Uh, something we can become less uh, susceptible to giving in to temptation if we're prayerful. And we'll see as we go along with what happened in Gethsemane that the apostles failed Jesus because they wouldn't and couldn't stay awake in prayer. They just were not sensitive to what they could do to serve our Lord because they were physically asleep but also spiritually asleep. Now, St. Matthew includes a very important line that should be pretty well known to us. And he describes in Matthew 26, verse 40 to 41, Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That phrase, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, is known by a lot of people. And there's also this first part of the line Watch with me one hour. That line helps us to see that the focus of the prayer needs to be Jesus. What our Lord is asking is, watch with me. It's not just staying alert to anything that might happen. It is staying alert to the person of Jesus Christ. Being alert to what he is asking, not to support an ideology, but rather to be close to him. That is extremely important. And then we all, we, we have to keep in mind that as we take time, he asks for an hour. We want that hour of prayer to... Help us focus on the person of Christ. Now, some people say, well, what would I do for an hour? Well, I'll tell you what. You may want to start off the way you start off a baby. You don't give a baby a steak. You start off with milk. And you may want to start off slowly with maybe a shorter time, like 15 minutes. But if you only start off for 15 minutes, do so in a way that you build up in an, another episode of that same series, it's going to be on EWTN, one lady had just felt drawn to pre- opening up the Bible for about five minutes. Later on, in a very, very horrible tragedy, her daughter was killed at Sandy Hook, six-year-old little girl. And she then had already a disposition to pray and. When she came to that crisis, she was able to pray for longer times. And she needed it. There were so many things going on in her heart and her mind over that. She needed to have that focus. And keep in mind that prayer is not about some sort of restful state of mind, though your mind might be restful. And it's not about going through some other um, uh, experience of nothingness or an experience of emptiness. There have been some, uh, even Catholics, who try to promote that we should just come to a state of nothingness and emptiness. I don't think that's it either. I I think that would be a mistake. Uh, It's rather that we want TO FOCUS ON JESUS CHRIST, THAT HAS TO BE THE KEY HERE. AND THE GOAL OF OUR PRAYER IS NOT SOME STATE OF MIND OR STATE OF CONSCIOUSNESS. BACK WHEN I WAS MYSELF FASCINATED BY THE NEW AGE MOVEMENT IN THE EARLY 70s, BEFORE IT WAS EVEN CALLED THE NEW AGE MOVEMENT. You know, the idea that was presented was trying to seek a certain state of consciousness. That's not Christian prayer. It's not about a state of consciousness. It's about a relationship with God, a personal relationship that the more deeply you enter into it, the more personal you understand him to be. And this kind of personal union with Jesus Christ. This is the source of strength to overcome various temptations. Again, for the apostles and Gethsemane, the temptation is too cowardice. They were, they were afraid. For other people, it's temptations to use booze and drugs, sex, possessions, shopping, gambling, all kinds of attractions that people have that divert them from Jesus. And this is something that we have to keep very much in mind. What he is doing here is reminding St. Peter and every single Christian that our human flesh is weak, We are prone to easily be distracted. We're kind of like dogs. that, When you're taking them for a walk and you yell, squirrel, and they they just jump, you know, they want to go get them. Um, This this is the kind of thing that we ought not to be. And what is it about the flesh that is so weak? It's weak because it's disordered. THE FLESH HAS DESIRES FOR GOOD THINGS, Uh, HUMAN SEXUALITY, HAVING PERSONAL POSSESSIONS, uh, BEING ABLE TO uh, HAVE THE THINGS YOU NEED, ALL OF THOSE ARE GOOD THINGS IN THEMSELVES, BUT WE GET DISTRACTED BECAUSE WE WANT TOO MUCH OF CERTAIN THINGS AND NOT ENOUGH OF OTHERS. We want to make sure we're having enough fun and we're not necessarily desiring work. And Though some people are so focused on work, they don't have any fun either, and they're imbalanced that direction. But right now, I'd say the general run is that a lot of folks are more distracted and disordered in their desire for uh, fun and, and those kind of things. And if you let... THOSE DISORDERED DRIVES TAKE CONTROL OF YOUR LIFE, THEY'LL DESTROY YOU. AGAIN, LOOK AT THE ALCOHOLICS AND THE DRUG ADDICTS AND SEXUAL ADDICTS AND GAMBLING ADDICTS. LOOK AT THEM AND SEE HOW THEIR DISORDERED DESIRES RUIN THEIR LIVES AND VERY FREQUENTLY BRING THEM TO THE BRINK OF DEATH. THAT'S NOT UNUSUAL if not all the way over to death. So this is something that we need to understand that focusing on Christ, making Him the King of our hearts, helps to pull these different disordered desires into Christ's order. All right, we're going to take a break here. We'll come back in a couple minutes, so please stay with us as we continue on this topic. So we've been discussing how our Lord was calling His disciples to pray and to stay awake and stay alert and be watchful. And, you know, this was hard for them. Again, they were filled with sorrow, and this is why they fell asleep. But on the other side, He had just ordained them, His first 12 bishops, And at the Last Supper, that was just, you know, an hour or two before this, and He had also given them their first Holy Communion. And yet, even those experiences were not quite enough for them to learn to be watchful in prayer, a prayer that focused on Jesus Christ, and they were, gave in to temptation. And I think this is something very important for us to understand in regard to the crisis, the, the, the sexual abuse crisis, but also some of the other issues. We um, Again, for the most part, the... Uh, a sexual abuse crisis within the church has declined radically, radically. Uh, th- th- there, but there are other sins that p- priests are still you know, tempted by and you know, uh, not just uh, the abuse of children. And we every so often will hear in the news, the media certainly likes to bring out uh, you know, when priests fail, uh, partly because they expect more of us Uh, given the promises and vows that we make. So this is something that still goes on. And I think it's very important that, while it's not the only issue by any means, there really was uh, an issue of a lack of prayer as part of the background, that lack of watchfulness against various temptations that, uh, uh, especially in a a society like ours, I'm going to use this phrase often, but ours is a sexually gluttonous society. It's sexual gluttony that we see uh, instead of food gluttony. Uh, That's very much part of uh, again, you see it in the advertising industry, but also the the amazing success of the pornography industry and so many other areas. Human trafficking is so lucrative, you know where they're selling people into sexual slavery. It's only lucrative because people are sexually gluttonous, and they don't they don't even care to ask if the person is a slave or not. And that's very common. We're talking millions of sex slaves in this country. Emancipation proclamation doesn't apply to them uh, as it should. So this is a real problem. And in that context where that is a normal temptation, it's a temptation that's very acceptable, and oftentimes even promoted. Sometimes I I am very concerned uh, the way things are being taught in public schools about human sexuality. It's as if they are condoning lust and condoning promiscuity. And whether the teachers mean to come across that way or not, students... You know, report, often enough, that's the message they get. They should experiment when they're young. And sometimes they're explicitly taught to experiment sexually. Um, So this is a, a, a very important issue. We need to be on guard against that, as well as the other temptations in life, by prayerful focus on Jesus Christ. This is a key fact, along with other safeguards to to support that. Now, we also have to keep this in mind. Ours is not the first period in the history of the church where there is widespread immorality. It's happened in other times. Other periods of history, uh, I think especially, of the 10th century and even more so the 11th century A.D. We think of the Middle Ages as very Catholic and pious. No, not quite so. It was so bad that people like St. Peter Damien and Pope St. Gregory Seventh had to come out of their monasteries and become part of a reform of the clergy. In some parts uh, of Italy, like Milan, the majority of parish priests were openly living with women, with concubines. They weren't married because they couldn't be married in the church, but they lived with these women and had families and it was in the rectory. It wasn't, you know, some apartment off to the side. And St. Peter Damien also went to reform the monasteries where in the monasteries of his day it was much more common that there would be same-sex issues. And in the parish priests it was marriage and having children. And his attempts to bring about reform nearly led to his death. You know, he, they, they tried to assassinate him a couple times and that's happened in other periods and uh, other places in history. Um, in fact, when, uh, in the 16th century, there also was another period of corruption. It seems like every 500 years or so, we would just go a little crazy. Um, and and uh, it was so bad that St. Charles Borromeo, who was bringing reform to his priests, also in Milan, was shot in the back by one of his priests. It's a good thing they had high-quality vestments because it stopped the bullet. You know, if we use some of the cheap uh, vestments that we have around today, you know, thin ones, uh, then he wouldn't have made it. But they had so much brocade and all that stuff that he survived. So this is one factor that... Priests need to have their own private prayer. But we also saw, those of us who remember this 70s, a lot of clergy stopped saying the Liturgy of the Hours. They weren't saying their office. Even though we take a very solemn vow to say the office every day when we ordain deacons, the permanent deacons and the transitional deacons all take that same promise to say the office every day, under pain of mortal sin. But a lot of priests just neglected it, along with other parts of private prayer. Oftentimes, the celebration of Mass became, you know, problematic. You know, some priests would say, "Well, I just got to get this done," and it was just doing it pro forma. Others were trying to be so self-expressive that people said, oh, I like Father So-and-So's Mass, but I don't like Father So-and-so's. He, Father So-and-So's Mass isn't as good as... I said, this isn't Father So-and-So's Mass. It's not my Mass. It's the Mass of Jesus Christ. It's His, not mine. And my task is not to make my personality prominent, but to simply proclaim the gospel of Christ and to celebrate the Mass as it's written. As we oftentimes are told, you do the things that are written in red and you say the things written in black, you don't add or subtract. Just do what's there. This is, And that's what the church has been asking us to do. And many of the reforms that we've seen in recent decades, that's exactly what's been asked of us. And then we also see that because there's less obedience to the liturgy, whether it's liturgy of the hours or the mass and other sacraments, and less personal prayer, it becomes easier to be susceptible to temptation like the apostles were. That's one of the problems that you know, you, you need to pray the Mass. And when we see that prayerful people like St. Peter Damian, by the way, you can get his book. It's been translated recently, the last couple of years. I think it's called the Book of Gomorrah. Um, has been translated from Latin into English by a layman in Central Texas. I think he's out in China or one of those places out there, and he just sat down to it and translated it, so that we could learn from that book and learn from Peter's uh, uh, Peter Damien's uh, experience. And these people were the ones who helped to, you know, get priests back to their prayer and in St. Ignatius Loyola, the founder of my order, especially focused on helping priests and bishops to enter into prayer and focus on Jesus Christ as a way to change their lives. And this is something we can see for priests today. Jesus Christ has to waken us from the slumber that leads us to accept the values of our culture. Wake up from that slumber and not give in to the various uh, things. Not to be cowardly, but to be strong. And this will come in prayer by Again, prayerfully taking on the Liturgy of the Hours, prayerfully celebrating Holy Mass um, and keeping that focus uh, on Jesus Christ. And this is a very important element that will not only affect the life of the priest, especially if he makes the Holy Hours, Bishop Sheen used to suggest to priests every opportunity he had. But it helps us avoid sin, helps us avoid temptation, and especially sexual temptation in the sexually gluttonous society, and to accept what Jesus said in Gethsemane, that the antidote to the temptation is prayer, Spending an hour with Jesus, praying the rosary every day, and praying over sacred scripture, especially the passages we have to preach about. Getting ourselves focused on Christ in that will not only transform us, but our Lord will then use us in the transformation Of our people. This is what our Lord asked for in Gethsemane, and it is worthwhile for us to pay attention to him. All right, we'll stop there and continue next week with the arrival of Judas. But now I'd like to go to some of your questions. We're going to start off with Tim in Michigan. Tim, what can we do for you? well, oh, Father, uh, i got a problem. Uh, I, the, the devil won't stop pestering me. I made a big mistake of messing around with a Ouija board to app on my phone. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, I'm reading a thing about uh, invoking him, and it's scaring me. I'm saying so many prayers, going to confession so many times. Mm-hmm. I say three roses a day, divine mercy chaplet, precious blood, and I don't know what to do. Okay, Tim, a couple things. You know, um, one of the, this is a basic principle in dealing with temptation. Um, The devil wants you to be scared, all right? He wants you to be anxious. That is the opposite of what God and his angels say to us. And there is something that I would, you might try to meditate on this. Um, Go back to the gospel. You can take a look at John chapter 6 and the parallels in the other gospels as well. When our Lord Jesus was walking on the water, he didn't say, hey, guys, look at this. Kind of scary, isn't it? No, no, no. His words were the opposite. Satan would want us to be scared and anxious. But Jesus, our Lord, says, fear not. These are his words. When he rises from the dead and appears to the apostles, he says to them again, fear not. What I would recommend is that go to your Bible, And look at those passages. Imagine yourself in the boat, because you're in a boat with a storm going on all around you. And you listen to Jesus in the midst of the storm say, Fear not to you. Contemplate that. What picture you being in the boat yourself Picture yourself as one of the apostles and focus on Jesus. Give your absolute attention to Jesus walking on the water and hear him say that to you. And discuss with him Well, Lord, I'm afraid of these different suggestions, and these are the storms I'm experiencing. And hear him say, Fear not. Okay? That's one. First recommendation. Secondly, when you find yourself coming to one of those points where you're tempted to be filled with anxiety, I want you to pray the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. Now, ask his help. This is, and just learn to make that an automatic Jumping to him and, you know, to say, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. You recognize, Tim, you're not strong enough to fight the evil one. So ask St. Michael to help you. Defend us in battle and be our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. You've confessed, you are, you know, repentant, and the devil is the one who wants you scared and who will also tempt you. Remember, he, God never tempts us. He doesn't. But the devil certainly does. And as it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that Satan is the one who constantly, constantly accuses the brethren day and night. Saint, that's right after St. Michael defeated him. And this is how we find an antidote, by focusing on Jesus and asking St. Michael to help us. That would be a couple of the suggestions I would make. Okay? Stay close to your parish priest, too, and get his advice as you move along. We have another question from our studio audience. Sir, where are you from? Um, Jacksonville, Florida. Good to have you. Thank you. And what can we do for you? Uh, my question is, in trying to improve my prayer life, I've done some reading, and it talked about meditative and contemplative. And it's it's really hard for me to understand. Maybe you can speak to that in yeah. terms of understanding one uh, versus the other or work together. Yeah. Um, you know, I personally am not um, adept at contemplative prayer the way say Benedictines tend to do. Um, you know I'm uh, I was called to the Jesuits, to the Society of Jesus and our prayer is meditation. I think for most people it is a, a, a better or an easy introduction instead of worrying about contemplation yet, unless you have some Benedictines to help you with that or some Trappist um, uh, or maybe some Carmelites you know, they, they have a lot of insight into that but if you're, as, you're asking the Jesuit and I would say you focus on like I said to Tim go to scenes of the gospel and meditate on the person of Jesus and then engage him in a conversation like a friend to a friend uh, after you've done that. That would be something I think most of us can do. Uh, and it's a, it may be, you know, a, a more simple way of praying and it's what I'm capable of, you know, these are the gifts the Lord gave me. Uh, maybe someday our Lord would lead to deeper contemplation, but for this point, uh, focus on Jesus in the Gospels and coming to get to know Him. That's where I would focus so that you can grow in that. And if our Lord gives you other gifts, because contemplative prayer is a gift, not a technique, then go ahead and accept those gifts when they come. But until then, just keep it simple. All right, we're going to take a break, come back in a couple of minutes, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Now, tomorrow we're going to have a very uh, wonderful guest. She's been out with us before uh, for EWTN Live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be speaking with the <clears throat> uh, survivor of the Rwandan genocide uh, from <clears throat> last century, Immaculate Ilibagiza. ABOUT HER POWERFUL, POWERFUL NEW ORIGINAL MINISERIES ON FORGIVENESS. THIS IS THE SERIES THAT I WAS uh, TALKING ABOUT uh, I, WHEN I SAW, the, the PREVIEWED THE EPISODES. I WAS VERY, VERY MOVED, AND I THINK uh, IMMACULATE WILL HAVE A LOT OF GOOD INSIGHT FOR US. WELL, right, LET'S START OFF WITH A call. WE HAVE AGNES IN NEW YORK. What can we do for you, Agnes? Good afternoon, Father Mitch. How are you? Oh, fine as frog hair. Um, I'm calling to ask you, Father Mitch, when you are praying and your prayers is not answered, what are you lacking off? There are a variety of things, Agnes, and there's no one answer to that. For instance, sometimes our prayers are not answered because, you know, we're praying uh, in a state of sin and we need some repentance. That's sometimes the case. But that's not always true. And we don't just jump, well, God didn't answer because you don't have faith. Now, I, I don't know that, and I don't jump to that. It's a possibility. But one of the issues is also this, and this is frequent it is not god's time to answer that question or that request the way you put it and it doesn't mean that he won't answer it later i've had prayers that i made and prayed for a number of years and then saw answered And when it was answered, I could see that it was better to have waited than it would have been to answer it when I first asked. But I couldn't see that at the time. I thought, this is a great idea. This is what you want. And it would be, you know, helping people to change their moral life. But they could not make that moral change for the better until they had a few things they were ready to deal with. And, you know, a lot of times, I would say this, in fact, most of the time, I don't really understand all of God's providence because He's dealing with not only my needs, but the needs of all the people involved in my request, as well as the needs of the world. And very frequently, the questions are not answered the way I thought they should be because there are other things to consider. But when I do see them answered, I've often typically looked back and said, that was a better set of timing than I had planned. So that's one of the things we have to learn to deal with God's providence. So that's as much as I know about it. I have a question from our studio audience. Ma'am, where are you from? Thank you, Father. Um, As I said, before that we have a country that is very divided and we are finding that the Catholic church is also very divided. If you listen to, I've gone to confession with similar, similar um, confessions that I have to make and I get Mm -hmm. different responses from different priests that are entirely antithetical to each other. Mm -hmm. How do I decide which one I should accept? Sure. And how do I reconcile my thinking as to my teachings from the Catholic church? Wonderful question. A very important one. <clears throat> the, we priests don't have the right to make up our own answers. The, again, like I said, it's not my mass. Well, it's not my dogma. It's not my teaching. It's the teachings of Jesus Christ and His church that's at stake. And so where I would go first is the catechism. You know, especially when you're dealing with moral questions, you you go to the uh, catechism, and in the catechism there's a whole section on the Ten Commandments. Start studying that. In that same section you will see not only the various issues related to the Ten Commandments and sin, but they also will have in there the different resources that they are quoting from. And you can. most of them are from St. Thomas Aquinas and the Fathers of the Church. And you can look those up to go a little more deeply. That's the way I would start. And because I know there are, a lot, there are a lot of clergy who were part taught incorrectly, they were not taught the catechism. And some of them say, well, my professors seem to be more insightful than the catechism. So they ignore it. That's not what we're supposed to do. Again, at ordination to the diaconate, we're handed the book of the Gospels. And it says to read this, believe what you read, and teach what you read And practice what you teach. The the teaching of Jesus Christ and the the Ten Commandments are the source. And we have to go back to that. And the various ramifications. Catechism is a great place to see those ramifications laid out. That's where I would go, okay? And if somebody gives you bad advice, just, "Mm mm-hmm, thank you. That's not what it says in the catechism, but thank you. Just give me absolution. Even if he has dumb answers, he still has the authority to give you absolution, okay? And it might not even be his own bad ideas. It might be what he was taught. So, you know, then bless his heart, just get absolution and move on and teach other people the right way. Ma'am, where are you from? Uh... Jacksonville, Florida, Father. Good to have Originally you. from Italy, though. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah, benvenuto. Father, I was a, a teacher for 30-some years, and uh, children, students, are very important to me. Mm-hmm. And I see that nowadays, students, children, how can parents get their children back to prayer, back to the faith, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the way... It was then. Yeah, yeah. There are a number of things here. You know, first of all, the parents have to be praying themselves. They can't. I mean, there's a certain point in the life of a child where a parent can no longer say do this when the parent isn't doing the same thing. You kids go to church on Sunday, but the mom and dad stay home. How well does that go over in training a child? And so with so many other elements. The parents have to give the right good example. Parents, like with prayer, they need to be praying with each other even before the kids are born. This isn't a show you put on for the kids. Moms and dads, young couples, newlyweds, need Jesus at the center of their marriage. You can't make it very well without God. So they need to be praying. And then don't wait until the kid is three years old to start praying with them. You pray with them when they're in the womb. And all through their growing up, you're praying with them. And not just telling them to say their prayers, you pray with them. Another element, and this is missing in our society very badly, when do people sit down at dinner and talk amongst themselves as a family? You don't see that much anymore. Everybody runs to get calories, but they don't have a meal together. Those meals at the dinner table is where moms and dads discuss with their kids the various things put that phone down you listen to us and listen to your brother and sister and be nice pass the learn to be polite pass the potatoes and say please and thank you and all those conversation that needs to be there along with the family going to church together and you cannot emphasize enough the importance of the dads being leaders of this in the families. These are the key things so that you discuss the issues of faith. And if a kid says, well, I just don't like it anymore. I don't believe it. You don't just say, well, you do because I said so. No, you know your child well enough, you can discuss it with them and talk about it and keep that or establish that conversation well before they're smart aleck teenagers, so that when they are smart alecks, they're still willing to listen to you. This is key. But I'm afraid that we've run out of time here, so may the Lord bless you and your families and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by His peace. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And again, this network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, because your support is the only way we can pay all of our bills, too. God bless you all, and thank you.